If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a shorter passage of Scripture today, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. I want to say this, last week was a big week for our church. Um, we baptized one believer, raised to new life in Christ. We talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and we took communion. As a pastor, that's like Super Bowl Sunday, okay? That's, that's big stuff. But on a serious note, as I'm reflecting on, man, the work of God at Ignite Church, I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. And I'm so thankful that when the world is literally going crazy around us, God's work is evident among these, among these people in, in his church. The world doesn't offer what Christ offers his church. And it's a blessing to worship with you. It's a blessing to be with you. It's a blessing to live life in community with you. Uh, thank you for being a part of, of this wonderful move of God at Ignite. So thankful for that. That being said, our text this week is really a continuation from what we looked at last week where Jesus confronted the religious leaders, the Pharisees, as they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They attributed the uh, work of the Holy Spirit ultimately to the work of Satan. And Jesus continues addressing the same religious leaders. He's addressing the same crowd in our text today as he did last week. And what he does is he uses the Pharisees, the religious leaders, as a case study in the sinful, corrupt heart of humanity. You could say it this way, all of us to some degree, in some way, shape, or form, have hard hearts and corrupt hearts like the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And as we look at the words of Jesus this week, you'll probably find much of them true to your experience. More generally, you're going to find that the words of Jesus are true to the human experience. What I'm saying is this, Jesus' teachings make sense of what's going on in our hearts and make sense of what's going on in the world around us. What I'm saying is that Jesus' words are true. Jesus' words are true. They're true in that they correspond with the way things actually are and the way the world actually works. They're true. And the more you study the words of Jesus, the more you'll become convinced of their truthfulness. The more you'll realize that what you are reading in this book actually gives an accurate account and makes sense of what's going on in our hearts and in the world around us. They correspond with the way things actually are. Jesus' words are true. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, we're unpacking this central theme focused on the heart today, and it is this. The heart can only produce what is consistent with its nature. Jesus is addressing matters of the heart. And he teaches that the heart can only produce what is consistent with its nature. If you would read with me verses 33 through 37, if you have your Bible, otherwise they're on the screen behind me, here's what Jesus says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he says to the crowd. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. 
Before we unpack this text and what Jesus teaches on the heart today, I think it's important that we answer the question, what is the heart? What is the heart? Uh, we'll see, I'm going to give you a brief overview of what the Bible teaches on it so that we're on the same page and not making any assumptions. So if you're taking notes, I have uh, five aspects of the heart from Scripture on the screen behind me. If you are a note taker, good luck and you're welcome. Um, five points, we're gonna go through these very quickly, but I wanna give, give a foundation for us so we can understand better Jesus's, Jesus' teaching. Five aspects of the heart in scripture. The first is this, the heart is the cause for our thinking. It's the cause for our thinking. In just a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus says, from the heart come evil thoughts. From the heart, it's the cause of our thinking. The second aspect is this, the heart is the basis for what we do. We see this in John chapter 13, verse two. You might be familiar with the story of Judas Iscariot. He was one of Jesus's 12 disciples, but he followed Jesus with his feet and not with his heart. Ultimately, it was Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus for some 30 pieces of silver leading to his trial and execution. But in John 13, verse two, moments before Judas betrayed Jesus, we're told that Satan had put it in his heart to betray Jesus. It was beginning in the heart that Judas betrayed Jesus. Third aspect is this, the heart is the seat of our conscience. It's the seat of our conscience. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, the apostle John says that when our heart condemns us, God is greater than that condemnation. Our heart serves as a conviction, a condemning tool in our lives. Scripture also teaches, point four, that the heart is the source of our depravity that is our sinful, corrupt nature. Jeremiah 17, verse nine says, the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Ever heard the phrase, follow your heart? Don't do it, don't do it, it's just desperately wicked. Maybe you've heard people say, I just need to be alone with my thoughts for a few minutes. I don't know about you, that's a scary place for me to be. <laughs> the heart's desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. It's the source of our depravity and the final aspect, there are many more, but for our purpose today is this, the heart is the center of God's work in man. Because it's the source of our depravity, it's also the focus of God's work in us. Ezekiel 36, 26, and we're gonna come back to this at the end of our time together. God promises all of his people that he will remove our hearts of stone, our rebellious hearts, our corrupt hearts, and give us a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive and sensitive to the things of God. It's the center of God's work in man. Five aspects of the heart in scripture. With that background, we're gonna look now to Jesus' words in Matthew 12. Short text, but a really good text. We look first in verses 33 through 35, the nature of the heart. Jesus addresses the nature of the heart. And in these verses, our Lord gives three illustrations, three word pictures to describe the nature of the heart. And let me just say this, I'm a facts guy. Um, I'm not an abstract thinker, I'm very concrete. And so when Jesus provides the sermon illustrations for me, 
I'm very thankful. Okay, Jesus gives three illustrations here. Uh, so for those visual learners, this will be very helpful for you. These are meaningful, helpful illustrations. The first illustration to describe the nature of the heart is in verse 33. Jesus discusses a tree and its fruit. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So keep in mind that Jesus is addressing the crowds and actually more specifically the Pharisees, the religious leaders that are dispersed within the crowd. And he uses the analogy of a tree to address the condition of the Pharisees' hearts. And you need to know that this isn't some uh, happenstance analogy that Jesus used. It's not arbitrary. Jesus was very intentional with this illustration. The prophet Jeremiah, it's a massive book in your Old Testament, gives us some context to this illustration that Jesus uses, a tree and its fruit. Because in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, God says of Israel that he planted Israel as a, quote, choice vine. He planted them as a choice vine. This is language of saying, man, these are my people and they are good. They're to be a good vine that produces good works and good fruit. They were a choice vine. And the Pharisees, knowing their Old Testaments, they would have worn this as a badge of honor. We're a choice vine. We're the people of God. We bear good fruit, the Pharisees would say. Really good fruit. But Jesus had other words for them. It's as if Jesus is saying to the crowd and directly to the religious leaders, no, just look at their fruit for a moment. Look at what their lives produce. It doesn't line up with who they say they are. They say they're a choice vine. They say they're a good tree, but look at their fruit. It's rotten. The Pharisees produced the fruit of legalism, of corruption, and we saw last week, blasphemy. It was rotten fruit. Jesus teaches on this theme using this analogy in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. He calls the Pharisees wolves in sheep's clothing and false prophets. He says they claim to be one thing, but remember a tree is known by its fruit and they're bearing the fruit of corruption and false teaching. See, the Pharisees, they were outwardly religious, but they were inwardly corrupt. Their fruit was bad because, what? Their hearts were evil. What was true for the religious leaders is true also for us. This is Jesus' point. Just as a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, so the corrupt heart cannot produce anything good. That's Jesus' first illustration. He continues in verse 34. He addresses the crowds and likely the Pharisees more directly. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus uses the illustration to discuss the nature of the heart. He used the illustration of a viper and its venom. This was offensive then, just as it would be offensive today. This isn't a term of endearment. 
He calls the Pharisees, the religious elite of Israel, just a bunch of serpents. You brood of vipers, he says. He again addresses the Pharisees, and again, he chose this term carefully. If you want to go through and read the context, I'll touch on it briefly. Jeremiah chapter 23. Here's what's going on. In Jeremiah 23, God spoke judgment against the religious leaders of Israel because he appointed the religious leaders, uh, excuse me, leaders of Israel to be shepherds. But these shepherds were abusing God's people. The religious leaders were scattering the sheep of God's pasture, Jeremiah 23 tells us. So what we have going on here is the religious leaders, knowing that they're a so-called choice vine, knowing that they're called to be shepherds of God's people. Jesus has other words for them. He says, you're not shepherds, you are serpents. People run from you. Your teaching is venomous. Your teaching is toxic. Your teaching is false. He calls them a brood of vipers. And the Pharisees were serpents, though they were called to be shepherds, according to Jeremiah 23. This is tough teaching. But what's Jesus' point? It's about the heart. Just as a poisonous snake cannot produce harmless venom, so the corrupt heart cannot produce anything good. You seeing the theme here? And in verse 35, the third illustration that Jesus gives is the analogy of a treasury. The treasury and its treasure. He uses the analogy of a treasury to describe the heart. Here's what he says. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. But the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. It's an analogy of a treasury referring to the heart. Isn't this true? How great a blessing it is, that person in your life that you say, man, that, that person just has a good heart. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a good friend where when you're around that person, because of their good heart, they just uplift your spirit. They encourage you, literally they put courage into you. It's like a treasury, full of good treasure, meaningful. The opposite's also true. Don't, don't name them, but maybe you have that person in your life, those people in your life. Bad treasury, corrupt heart, want to take advantage of you. They drain the life out of you. They ridicule you. You just don't like being around that person. Jesus would say that person has, a, has an evil treasury, and from that evil treasury comes evil treasure. So what Jesus says is this, good treasure brings forth good. Evil treasure brings forth evil. What Jesus is saying is this, and don't miss this. He's saying essentially you cannot deal in a currency that you don't have. Here's what I mean. If, if we desire to be good, but our hearts are evil, well, it's not in our nature to be good. We're gonna be continually evil no matter how hard we try. We can't deal in a currency we don't have. If, if our treasury is evil, our treasure will be evil. It's consistent with its nature. And the point is this, just as an evil treasury cannot produce good treasure, so the corrupt heart cannot produce anything good. 
Why? Because the heart can only produce what is consistent with its nature. Just as a bad tree cannot produce good fruit, just as a poisonous snake cannot produce harmless venom, just as an evil treasury cannot produce good treasure, so the evil heart, the corrupt heart, the sinful heart cannot produce anything good. And so we move now to focus on the last two verses of this teaching, this teaching that resonates so deeply with the human heart and the human experience. In verses 36 through 37, Jesus, is, Jesus focuses on our words, something very simple, our words. And he shows in these two verses that it's our words that ultimately reveals what is unseen in our hearts. Our words reveal our hearts. And by way of, by way of illustration, um, this is true to the human experience. I'm sure this is true for many of you. Let me throw a purely hypothetical situation at you, but if you're married in here, let's say your spouse makes you angry, purely hypothetical, okay? And in that moment of anger, you lash out and you say something you wish you wouldn't have said. I've been there once or twice. I'm sure you have too. But what happened in that moment is that your words, what you said in that moment, made visible what was going on in your heart. You were angry in your heart, and so it came up out of you and manifested in some terrible, harsh words. What your words were doing in that moment is they were revealing what's ultimately in your heart. And that's Jesus' point in verses 36 through 37. Read with me. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. He says, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I imagine in this moment, Jesus was looking right at the Pharisees. You remember what happened just a few verses above, what we looked at last week. In verse 24, the Pharisees, after seeing Jesus heal a man with a demon, they said, it's only by Satan, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. That's a careless word. They're attributing to Satan what was the work of the Holy Spirit. This was blasphemy. And Jesus says, you will give an account for those careless words you speak. Why? Because our words simply reveal our hearts. The Lord will judge our hearts and our words are indicative of what's going on in our hearts. Look with me at verse 37. Jesus goes on to say, by your words you will be justified. In other words, by your words, literally you will be shown to be righteous. What Jesus is not saying in this moment is that our words make us righteous. They don't do that but our words are indicative of a righteous heart. By your words you will be justified or by your words you will be condemned. Our words don't make us righteous. They're indicative of what's really going on in our, in our heart. They make visible what is invisible. Let me just say this for a moment. Um, Christians, we need to be careful 
of the people or of ourselves who claim to follow Jesus, but don't walk, talk, or live like him. This is evidence of a corrupt heart. This is evidence of maybe what Jesus would call in Matthew 7, wolves in sheep's clothing. People that profess one thing with their mouth, but ultimately show and prove to be another thing in their heart. 1 John, the Apostle John, chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims to abide in Christ should also walk as he walked. And the careless words of the Pharisees are revealing what's really going on in their heart, claiming to be one thing, claiming to be religious, claiming to be God-fearers. Ultimately, they were sinful, corrupt, and broken in the heart. Really, our words are nothing more than the fruit of what's in our heart. Really, our actions are nothing more than the condition of our heart. Everything flows from the heart. These are Jesus' teachings. And so as Jesus uses the case study of the Pharisees to reveal the desperately sinful and wicked and corrupt nature of the human heart, I think we have a thing or two to learn from this. Because frankly, we're no better than the Pharisees were. We're, we're human, and our hearts also are corrupt and desperately wicked. The solution is this, and don't miss this, we need a new heart. We need a new heart. I love what the Puritan preacher Matthew Henry in the 17th century said about the nature of the heart. He said this, unless the heart be transformed, the life will never be reformed. Unless the heart be transformed, the life will never be reformed. I think this captures what Jesus was teaching. The heart can only produce what is consistent with its nature. And what is the nature of the human heart? Scripture says it's sinful. It's desperately wicked. It's corrupt. It's rebellious. It's broken. It is hard as stone. We need a new heart. Hear me, we don't need a fixed heart. We need a new heart altogether. The proud person will never admit this because it's really, really dehumanizing. It, it attacks our pride. It attacks our ego to say, I need a totally new heart. The proud won't admit this. No, Jesus' teaching is only for those who have reached the end of themselves. It's only for those who are repulsed again and again by their sinful heart. Maybe you're here today and you've reached the end of yourself. You've tried self-help and it doesn't work. 
You've tried fixing your heart by becoming externally more righteous or becoming religious, and it just doesn't work. And maybe for the first time, Jesus' words are piercing your heart. Saying, I I need a new heart, not a fixed heart. I need a new heart. I don't need self-help. I need a savior. Well, I have good news for you. Jesus gives new hearts. This is the essence of the gospel. I mentioned Ezekiel chapter 36, one of the prophets of the Old Testament written some five, 600 years before the ministry of Jesus that we're reading about in Matthew. But in Ezekiel 36, Jesus, excuse me, the Father promises to his people that he will sovereignly do open heart surgery by removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Finally, we're alive. Finally, our hearts are vital and beating again. This is what we call the doctrine of regeneration. It is the removal of our hard, rebellious heart. And it's the giving of a brand new heart, purified, ready and willing to walk in the way of Christ. We need a new heart and Jesus gives new hearts. I believe that all of scripture in some way, shape, or form is calling us to obey, to maybe believe something about God or do something in response to what we hear. And I think generally there are two types of people that are hearing the words of Jesus today. First, it is those that realize I have a sinful heart and I need a new heart. Let me encourage you with this. Repent and believe. Repent uh, means to turn from your sin. It means to change your mind and believe. Place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, by the blood shed at Calvary's cross, sealed the promise of the new covenant, and he gives new hearts to those who place their faith in his finished work. Repent and believe you will get a new heart. This is the work of Christ. Perhaps there are also some of you, you say, I've received a new heart, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, yet you're still bearing some bad fruit. You know what I'm talking about? Um, maybe it's as simple as you're, you're lashing out at your spouse and you, you don't like that. You know it's not consistent with the, the word and will of Christ. Maybe it's the habitual sin you're walking in and you just can't seem to shake. Maybe it's walking with shame and guilt because of something that's been done to you or something you've done. You know you've placed your faith in Christ, but you're just not seeing the fruit that you know should accompany a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you with this. Abide in Christ. I take that language from John chapter 15. If you're in that place today, write down John chapter 15, where Jesus is addressing his disciples and he's inviting them moments before his crucifixion, hours before his crucifixion. He's saying, abide in me. He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear 
good fruit and so prove to be my followers? Christian, if we abide in Christ, he cleans the new heart that he's given us. He cleanses us from sin. In fact, in this moment, I just, as if I were sitting across from you, if I were to counsel you, I, if you're wrestling with this, let's say, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's where the great apostle Paul is saying, I, I, I want to do what I can't do, and I do what I don't want to do. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's Paul wrestling with the already and not yet aspect of Christ-likeness, how we're made right with Christ, yes, we're made right with God, but we're still wrestling with that sin nature. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8. And let the words of Christ cleanse you. Let the words of the Apostle Paul cleanse you. The heart can only produce what is consistent with its nature. Christ gives new hearts, and he cleanses the sinful heart. This is good news for God's people. Would you conclude with me in prayer? Father, I'm always so humbled and astonished by your word because I think it's true to the human experience for each and every one of us that something is not right with our hearts and something is not quite right with the world in which we live. We know we need a savior and it's your word, your scripture that not only shows us our sinful condition but also shows us our Savior. So Father, today I pray that you would give us a humble heart, a heart that says, God, I need a new heart. Would you give that to me? And for those that are wrestling with sanctification, for those that are wrestling with bearing bad fruit, God, I pray that they would receive the words of Christ as abide in me. Thank you that you give us new hearts. Thank you that you reconcile us to the Father by your finished work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.